Thanks to Audible for supporting Market Foolery. For a limited time, get three months of Audible for $6.95 a month. Choose one audiobook and two Audible originals for free. Visit audible.com slash fool or text fool to 500 500. It's Monday, November 18th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill with me in studio today. He's back. We're both back from the Motley Fool's <laughs> annual meeting. It's Jason Moser. Thanks for being here. Hey, hey. Good time at Foolapalooza. Yeah, it always is. You know, I mean, you try to try to have a good time and still get some rest because it's a full day of stuff between meetings and food and fun and libations and everything in between. You know, it's 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 a lot. It's a lot. Libations, nice. Yeah. Good, well, 50, you know, good fifty cent word. <laughs> uh, we've got restaurant news. We have a large pile of cash to discuss, and we've got some boots on the ground research to share. But we're going to start with John Ledger, who is stepping down as CEO of T-Mobile. Uh, this will not happen until May first, twenty twenty. Mike Sievert, who's the chief operating officer at T-Mobile, will. Uh, take over the corner office, and I think it's safe to say, Mike Siebert has a tough act to follow. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd say so. I think that anytime you follow a CEO like uh, John Ledger, I mean, he John Ledger's an outspoken, out there kind of guy who um, wears his heart on his sleeve. I guess is the best way to put it. And you know, he he took in T-Mobile, I think a a, a business that was. Perpetually against facing just against the odds. I mean, more or less. I mean, when you're competing against Verizon's and AT and T's of the world, I mean, it's it's a very difficult go of it. But he, man, I tell you, just twenty four seven, he seemed like he was just screaming it from the mountaintop. And in T Mobile, all along the way, more or less benefited from it. And and um, I mean, whether it was you know like Netflix on us, for example, figuring out ways to saddle up with other bigger uh, media partners, or, or you know, even just his, his social media presence. I mean, like the, the slow cooker Sunday just tugs at my heartstrings all the time because, you know, I mean, we've talked about this before. I, I like to do a little bit of cooking, and and so to see him embracing that side, um, it, he's just a he's a. I think he was a great ambassador for the T-Mobile brand. I think we'll probably always see him that way. Uh, but by the same token, you have T-Mobile and Sprint. Basically coming together, you're going to have SoftBank owning around 30 percent of that total interest there. Uh, like like Mr. Ledger was saying, it's time. And um, the neat thing is, you got to figure this is just the beginning for him. All right, I mean, this is it's the end of, of one thing, but but man, he seems like he still has a lot left to do. So yes, on Sundays he would have slow cooker Sunday. <laughs> he was also great on Twitter for trolling sure. the competition, uh, particularly leading into conference calls. But he, John Ledger, as CEO of T-Mobile, was, and this is a, a phrase that uh, most often gets used in the world of politics. Uh, but John Ledger, as CEO, he was a happy warrior. Yeah. He was constantly upbeat, as you mentioned, a tremendous brand ambassador for T-Mobile. And if you're a shareholder during his tenure, good for you because he took over as CEO uh, the end of I think 2012, and the stock was up nearly 400 percent to date at a time where the market is up not nearly that much. I mean, the market's more than doubled in that time, but T-Mobile shares have. Significantly outpaced the market in general 
while Ledger was CEO. And uh, again, good luck to Mike Seaver. Well, yeah, and I mean, if you look at, I mean, the thing about about Ledger that he always has had this humility about him. I mean, he's it's rare that you see someone who is so. I guess extroverted is probably a fair word, but oh, yeah. he, you know he's he's very humble in in this by the same token, and so that's always been a nice refreshing combination, and that's the kind of leader you really love to see. Um, a friend of mine over at, at Cheddar, Hope King, she had some great coverage on um, on on John and this transition here earlier on Twitter, and he was uh, talking about reports of him taking over at WeWork, and, and I mean essentially he was never having those discussions. It doesn't sound like that was something that ever was really going to materialize, but. By by the same token, he said, "I'm not retiring." He has 30 to 40 years left, and five acts in him left to help companies that are in need of cultural transformation. So, of course, my mind starts wandering, and it's like, "All right, Chris, let's let's talk about this for a second. What companies, what entities out there are in dire need of cultural transformation?" I mean, a couple. That came to mind in our sandbox, publicly traded companies. I mean, you look at something like Under Armour. I think Under Armour is pretty, pretty, pretty fair there. I mean, it seems like they need a little bit of a cultural transformation. I would argue, and maybe some would disagree. I think Facebook is in dire need of a cultural transformation. I think there is a big, uh, for for all that they have going for them. I, I feel like maybe leadership is a little bit tone deaf at this point. And then. Let's step outside of the public uh, publicly traded company uh, sandbox there and listen, man. The Washington Redskins. I mean, that's an organization in dire dire need of a cultural transformation. I mean, anytime you have your stadium, your home, one fifth filled stadium, and and out of that one fifth, probably seventy five percent are rooting for the the visiting team and they're chanting, telling you to sell your team. Man, I'll bet you Redskins fans would love. To have some guy like that come in here and shift things around. When you started to suggest companies that he could, you know, change the culture of, and you referenced sort of our space, I thought you were going finance. I thought you were going to say Wells Fargo. Well, and by the way, <laughs> I would love to see that. I, yeah, well, I think Wells Fargo. That's that is a that's a good one. Now I feel like if only so we can get video of him meeting with Buffett. <laughs> yeah, that would be good. Now I feel like we at least have to give um, newly installed leadership at Wells Fargo a chance. Uh, I do applaud them for going outside of of you know the organization and, and bringing someone in from the outside with a, with a little bit of a different uh, perspective on things. But yeah, I finance banking. That's that's always um, man. That's always one right there in in dire dire need <laughs> of cultural transformation. More than half of wealthy investors are preparing themselves for a significant drop in stocks in the next year. This is according to a survey by UBS Wealth Management, a survey of 3,400 high net worth investors, people with at least a million dollars in assets. And I think you and I were both struck by the same thing in this survey, which is the data point that these individuals, 25% of their portfolios are in cash. And UBS went out of their way to say, we advise our clients to keep about 5% in cash. 25% yeah. well, seems like a really high percentage to keep in cash. It does, and it's a, it's something that we've talked a lot about recently. We've had listener questions, and we just talked about the general idea of 
what's what's a reasonable amount of cash I have in your portfolio at any given point in time? And I mean, you typically hear the the same old five to ten percent, whatever makes you feel comfortable. But I mean, when you look at, I mean, high, high net worth investors, as you, as you defined, these are these are investors with at least one million dollars in assets. Um, it was a cohort polled of thirty four hundred um, of these investors, and so that's. I mean, I think that's noteworthy for a couple of reasons, um, given given what we've talked about, and I think, man, I mean, you have to look at you have to look at why why is the market where it is today? I mean, it obviously is is hitting new highs, and and um, everything seems to be going well. But I mean, you know, if you look at some of the facts that data out there, it it makes you wonder. I mean, when maybe this this Rise up is gonna is gonna pause. I mean, if you look at this third quarter of 2019, with with almost all of the companies in the S and P 500 reporting, 75 percent of the S and P 500 companies have reported a positive earnings per share surprise. 60 percent reported a positive revenue surprise. So so that's good. Um, However, if you look at the blended earnings decline for the S and P 500, right now it's it's negative 2.3 percent. And if that holds, then it's going to be the first time that the index has reported three straight quarters of year-over-year earnings declines since the fourth quarter of 2015 through the second quarter of 2016. So, I mean, it, it does make you wonder at what point do we have to take a pause? And then when you look at the valuations here, I mean, the the forward P/E ratio for the S&P 500 is 17.5, and that is above the five-year average and above the ten-year average. So you could argue that the market is maybe overvalued. I mean, it's certainly pockets where it seems more overvalued than others. Um, I think the big wild card right now is the election. I think 2020 is going to be just a, it's going to be chaotic for a number of reasons, and I think that ultimately. I think who wins the election, it's going to really dictate what this market does over over the coming um, at least several quarters, just because it does seem to be uh, very polarizing in in what <laughs> both sides want want to accomplish. And and you know we know that the president only has so much power, and the president can't just snap a finger and make anything happen. But but there's going to be perception there, and, and um, whoever does end up winning, you're going to be hearing about that agenda for the following four years. And, and that will likely play out on investors' uh, enthusiasm or lack thereof. Yeah, it still seems high. The twenty-five percent. <laughs> it does. I, I hear all that. It all makes sense to me. The twenty-five percent just seems like why wouldn't you deploy at least some of it into something? If you feel like okay. Stocks are going to drop. It's going to be a volatile year. I don't want to deal with that. That's fine. Why wouldn't you find just even if it's just something really safe, and it's going to earn you one to three percent, something like that? I don't know. There's plenty. There are plenty of ideas out there on the dividend front that you get that accomplished for you. And and it's also, I think this this data is noteworthy. Also, when you consider what Goldman Sachs is publishing today, where they feel like we're setting up for a stronger. Uh, 2020, as 
they feel like we we've seen you know I mean, we're going whether it's going to be the resolution of this of this trade deal um, whether it is the economy continuing to recover uh, we've seen cyclicals perform very well over the last 3 months compared to the greater market and typically cyclicals are going to follow a healthier economy and if so we have a healthier economy then maybe there are pockets in that cyclical space where where you can um, find some outsized gains there so you, you i mean that's the beauty of the market right it is ultimately the end of the day one big disagreement, and we're all kind of trying to find uh, where where we want to uh, where we want to be. I mean, I agree with you. Twenty five percent just sounds like an awful lot. I don't know that I've ever had that big of a cash position ever. Um, this type of of data doesn't make me think, oh man, I'm I'm way behind here. I need to start raising some cash. I mean, that that doesn't change my mind, um, particularly when you when you can see data that that argues both sides of the coin there. Um, but it it will be very interesting to see how it all shakes out. I think regardless, 2020 is going to be uh, volatile to say the least. Duncan Brands is getting rid of styrofoam coffee cups, which is good news for the environment, but there are absolutely longtime customers <laughs> in New England who are not <laughs> happy with this move. And Duncan is, I think they're being very smart about this because they're putting a marketing spend behind this effort and uh, talking about this thing that I, maybe this only happens in in a significant way in their New England locations, but it's double cupping, where people will get maybe an iced coffee in the summer, and then they'll get a styrofoam cup to to basically go around the plastic cup <sighs> to keep it insulated. And Duncan said, yeah, not only are we getting rid of the styrofoam cups, we're not supporting your double cupping habit. <laughs> Anymore, and I have to say, it's 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 pretty humorous to see some of the coverage well, in New England where people are just, you know, it's it's a little bit of a shock to the system. This is part of their daily routine, and and Duncan recognizes that this is a change that messes with people's daily routine. And they're like, "What are you kidding? I love double cupping, guy. Let's double cup." Uh, listen, I, I never double cupped. I I just wasn't really entirely certain what double cupping was until this came out because my initial reaction was. Oh, double cupping must be because you've got this crappy styrofoam, and maybe you're putting an extra styrofoam cup underneath there so that your coffee doesn't leak because styrofoam is so easy to puncture. But no, no, this is all about just comfort, Chris. It this is. is about making sure that you have your beverage at your preferred temperature. I mean, listen, man, I, I'm I'm all for getting what you want and customer centricity and all that good stuff, man. I don't know why it took Duncan so long to get rid of styrofoam cups to begin with. I applaud them for that effort. And I double applaud them for this double cupping effort. But holy cow, this seems a little bit late to the game. Now, to your point, I think they've done a wonderful job in really doing this a little tongue in cheek, making fun of themselves a little bit. Yes. And I think that customers will I think that customers will accept this in short order and life will go on as we know it. By the way, I had said when they announced earlier this year that they were partnering up with Beyond Meat to have the Beyond Sausage breakfast sandwich. Ah, yes. Because they were testing that in New York. I said, hey, if they get one, if they get this at the one across the street from the fool. I'll try that. And tried it. Tried it this morning, and I have to say the uh, it was very tasty. Yeah. The the Beyond sausage was very tasty, good texture, all that sort of thing. I don't know that I'm necessarily going to get it again though, because the problem <laughs> is the the bun or the English muffin or what they're passing off as an English muffin. 
the bread part. The bread off. part just wasn't working for <laughs> what, me. What working? But I the, mean, is it like a gluten free? <laughs> no, it's not that. It's just it I don't know. It's just cauliflower. It's mash. incredibly bland, and it's just it it it's fine. I, but again, the the Beyond sausage part. They got that part down. See, that's in line with my thinking here. I think fast food is the industry where these meatless options make the most sense. Because, again, I mean, it's one thing if we're going to my house and I'm grilling you a burger on my grill, like you're going to taste that difference. I, I, I don't think you're going to be nearly as as um, picky when you're getting something from a fast food restaurant. I think it'd be very easy to make that substitute. In, in frankly, I think you could probably just do, you could just blindly across the country. I think substitute whether it's a sausage patty or a or a Beyond Meat hamburger patty. I think you could substitute those things in there. Half your audience probably wouldn't know the difference anyway. And so then, if it's better for you and it's better for the environment, and I guess those discussions are all still being um, sorted out. I mean, it just seems to me like the fast food industry is the first place where this makes the biggest impact. Before we dip into the full mailbag, it's that time of year, Jason. We got it the holiday. Yeah, we got the holidays coming up. Ah, uh, yes. Giving gifts, and when you're running around, think about giving yourself the gift of listening with an Audible membership. For a limited time, you can get three months of Audible for six ninety five a month at audible.com/fool, or you can text the word fool to five hundred. 500. You can access an unbeatable selection of audiobooks, including mysteries, memoirs, bestsellers, and more. And with the Audible app, you can listen anytime, anywhere, on any device. You can listen at the gym, while shopping, in the car, while traveling. Anytime you can't read, you can listen to Audible. Um, I got myself a copy because I'm also going to be doing a lot of traveling uh, over the next six to eight weeks. And I will be spending some time in the car solo. So I picked up a copy of uh, Range, uh, David Epstein's book, When oh, Generalists yeah. Triumph in a Specialized World. Uh, if you listened to Motley Fool Money last week, uh, that was my interview with David Epstein from earlier this year. Um, so I got the audiobook of that. And uh, it's, it's, it's great. And, Damn, that guy's smart. I need to get into more. I need to get into more audio books. I tell you, it's it's something. I remember growing up doing that with my father. We would listen to some books on NPR radio as he would drive me to school. I mean, that was you know back in the day where you had to be in the car at a certain period of time. Right. Um, but yeah, just that whole. There are only so many good podcasts in the world, Chris. And I mean, I can only listen to so many before I want something a little bit more sustainable. And, and getting a book uh, to listen to is is I like it. For a limited time, get three months of Audible for six ninety five a month. That's more than half off the regular price. Each month, choose one audiobook plus two Audible originals for free. Visit audible.com slash fool or text fool to 500-500. Give yourself the gift of listening. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com. From Tom Sikorsky, who emailed, I'm finishing up a week in India. Wanted to let you know that many places, including the Taj Mahal, give 50 rupee off for credit cards over the cash price. The war on cash, alive and well in India. Hey, keep fighting the good fight. You can also follow us on Twitter at MarketFoolery is our Twitter handle. A couple of tweets to get to. First, from our friend Toby Bordelon, who tweeted, I'm a little behind on my MarketFoolery listening. Question from the October 7th episode. How do you debate Dr. Pepper versus Mr. Pibb and not bring in Cheerwine? 
I don't think I was on that episode. I, I think that was so. I do recall that was definitely me. Austin, I think, was behind the glass there, and it was Mac. Yep. And and I, I mean, I, I do vividly recall that because I, there were some strong opinions and some things were said. Um, now, Toby, you're. I, I appreciate you bringing up Cheerwine because to me. Cheerwine is in a, is in a class all, all by itself. Yeah, I don't even think of it as a direct competitor taste wise to Dr Pepper or Mr Pip. No, and if you say, "Hey Jason, you can have either a Cheerwine or a Dr Pepper or a Mr Pip. Take your pick." I'm going Cheerwine ten times out of ten. That's how I feel about Cheerwine, Chris. And I mean, listen. My good buddy here, Chad Dukes, a local guy, has a store here at Commonwealth Dry Goods. You don't find Cheerwine all that many places around Northern Virginia. He's 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 got religion when it comes to Cheerwine. Not only does he do Cheerwine, but come the holiday season, he gets the holiday punch Cheerwine and he starts raffling it off. I mean, it it real there is there is a, a feeling. Uh, uh, up in this area here, when this time of year comes around, because you don't get that stuff very often around here. But be, I mean, to me, Cheerwine, growing up in South Carolina, vacationing a lot in North Carolina, it was a staple in our house, and, and I still love it today. Yeah, I had never encountered Cheerwine until I'm going to say ten years ago, maybe longer. Bill Mann, native of North Carolina, had gone home to visit his folks, came back, and he had a couple of cases of this stuff on his mm-hmm. desk. And I was like, what is this? And obviously, I could tell from the box. Um, but that's when he was telling me, he said, oh, I get it every time I go to North Carolina, because you can't get it around here, which struck me as odd. Austin Morgan, you have thoughts? Yeah, if you're asking me if I want Dr. Pepper, Mr. Pib, or Cheerwine, I'm not drinking any of them. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I don't like any of them. Oh, Really? I don't like are cherry you just, sodas. Are you, are you just not a soda person? No, I like soda, but I don't like cherry sodas. Well, or like what, what can we get you instead of a Dr. Pepper or Mr. Pepper? I mean, one? like I'm a classic Coke. I think he's also maybe Mountain going Dew. Mountain Dew. Yeah. yeah, I know he's a Mountain Dew guy. Uh, I mean, I think the one thing that Cheerwine really pulled off nicely um, to me. It really is. It's all about the diet version of the beverage. In diet cheer wine, it it holds its own. So you know, when you find a good diet version of the beverage, um, you know that they're really serious about it. And cheer wine, cheer wine pulled that one off. A question from longtime listener Mark Fitzgerald on Twitter. He asks, "Is the Molly Fool swag shop gone?" Please say no. I need to replace <laughs> my travel mug, and I can't find the swag shop online. My apologies, Mark. Um, and I and I responded on Twitter, and and what I wrote to Mark was, what I should have done was put up one of those "Pardon Our Dust" signs, <laughs> because the swag shop is under renovation. I'm happy to say that in early 2020, we will be unveiling a bigger, better, and much more robust swag shop. So, uh, thank you, Mark. Please be patient. The swag shop will be better than ever in early 2020. Yeah, and think about all of those it's that time of years to come where you have that swag shop at your disposal. Because I know I personally, I'm going to be buying a few things from said swag shop, Chris. That's good news to hear. Jason Moser, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interested in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Austin Morgan. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.